Hey guys, welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Uh, this show is an interview with spirited Oklahoma Sooner broadcaster Chris Plank. Ben will properly introduce uh, Chris, but this is a really fun show, and Plank gave some great OU perspective uh, leading into our matchup in the Orange Bowl. Once we're done with this one, stay tuned for our podcast Orange Bowl preview show going live early on in the week. First, though, I wanted to tell you all about our podcast sponsor, SeatGeek. SeatGeek is a ticketing marketplace for buying and selling event tickets online. When you look for a game or show on their app or website, SeatGeek instantly searches dozens of sites online to bring you the best seats at the lowest prices. They've got seats out there for just about any concert or college and pro sporting event at nationwide venues. And as a listener of the, pot, of the podcast, they're offering you a great deal on your first purchase. During bowl season, after you make your first purchase on SeatGeek.com or in the app, they'll send you $20. Simply input promo code podcast in the settings tab and pick up tickets to your first concert or game, and you're set. So the next time you're looking for concert or game tickets, think SeatGeek and plan to save big on your tickets. Once again, that $20 rebate code is PAWCAST, P-A-W-C-A-S-T. Thanks a lot, and enjoy the show. Unbelievable! Hey folks, this is Ben with the Clemson Podcast. We are uh, here today with Chris Plank uh, from the Sooner Sports Radio Network and Sooner Sports TV. He is a sideline reporter for the Oklahoma Football Radio Broadcast and host of the official Sooner Sports Podcast. Chris, thanks for coming on today. Man, thanks for having me on. It's the greatest name for a podcast ever, the podcast. I'm envious <laughs> that I couldn't come up with something as creative. It's awesome, man. We're excited. We're pumped to... Uh, see Clemson and uh, see this game in a couple of weeks and I'm excited to be on with you uh, to talk about it today Ben. well yeah it's our pleasure and uh yeah thanks for the uh compliment on the name it's <laughs> something we we certainly went back and forth about a lot when we were starting this thing up and uh we're glad it's resonating um so I'd first like to start off talking about uh the idea of this Orange Bowl game being a rematch of last year's Russell Athletic Bowl um however these two teams are very different than the two that met last year in Clemson's 40 to 6 victory not to mention the stakes are much higher uh, right. How is this OU team different, and what gives their fans confidence that the outcome will be different this year? Well, I, I think it starts, and, and I'll warn you, um, when we get rolling talking about this team, I tend to be long-winded, Ben. I'm, sure. I don't want to get too carried away here and say how passionate I am. I'm just blown away by some of the things that I've seen. Right. Uh, and, and, and this year, to me, I've never really been – a big believer in the difference of one, of one person, and how much of a difference that can make. But number six, Baker Mayfield at quarterback has made all the difference in the world for this team from its attitude, from its swagger, and I don't know if that's a term that we use anymore, uh, from its confidence, from its execution. This is just you. You want to if you want to just whittle it down to the. I mean, the, the, the simplest point, the, the whole mindset of KISS, keep it simple, stupid. The reason Oklahoma fans have hope in 2016, well, excuse me, 2015, as opposed to what happened in late 2014, is Baker Mayfield. And obviously, I've been pretty lucky to see it firsthand. Uh, this is a guy that doesn't let anything get to him too much. He is uh, supremely confident. And the thing that I think is so underrated about him is his arm strength. The kid has an absolute cannon, and we get so caught up in – I mean, I've already read two articles today about Johnny Manziel comparisons because he's a little bit of a sawed he's not the He's not the tallest guy, even though he's listed at 6'1". He's not that prototypical size for a quarterback. He's not Deshaun Watson. Um, but he just – you know, he has this ability to make plays with his arm that I don't think he gets enough credit for. So uh, the simplest answer to why they're more confident in this rematch is Baker Mayfield. I think there's probably a more complex answer. You know, uh, as we record this, Oklahoma had its first session with the media today, and it was probably, from what Zach Sanchez said, as open as we've heard these guys when it comes to talking about some of the issues that kind of permeated throughout the locker room last year. You know, things right. that were speculated about with uh, maybe not the best leadership, for this team last year, maybe some guys that might have tapped out. Uh, so I think that it's um, I, I think it's a much different team from an attitude perspective 
been in 2015 than we saw at any point uh, during the season last year. Yeah, and I think that that shows through in some of, I think it was uh, your defensive end Tapper's comments uh, leading up yep. to the game. He seems very confident, and it does seem like a different team. And it's funny you mentioned as pointing out Baker Mayfield as the one guy who could be the difference because Clemson fans will tell you, well, for us, it's Deshaun Watson yeah, uh, that yeah. makes the difference because, you know, he wasn't playing in that game last year. Cole Stout, our, who would normally have been our backup, had Watson stayed healthy all year, um, you know, Watson is the guy that is leading this team this year. You know, we have a drop-off, well, a perceived drop-off in defense. So we expect it to be worse there. We expect their offense to be better, which it has. Right. Watson. Well, so, and, and, and then the thing, too, that I would say is um, I, I covered Chad Morris. I covered Chad Morris whenever, whenever he was the offensive coordinator at Tulsa. And I, I know how special Todd Moore, or excuse me, Chad Morris can be. And to see the way – that Elliot and um, and those guys have adjusted offensively, and the game plans they have, and how Watson. So I'm honestly thinking that Clemson, with uh, with the turnover in their offensive and defensive line, and Chad Morris going to, to SMU, I honestly thought it was going to be a struggle for them offensively. But man, in what I've watched, and you know, rewatching the ACC championship game, rewatching every game I possibly can. Uh, these guys are going to be head coaches. <laughs> I mean, the job that they've done putting together the offensive game plan and utilizing Watson is just, man, it's something to behold how good they've become offensively. Well, we even saw a glimpse of that last year in the Russell, Russell Athletic Bowl when they game planned around Cole Stout's abilities because they're much different than Deshaun Watson's, and we saw the outcome of that game. So, yeah, you know, we're extremely pleased by the direction that's taken. There hasn't been a lot of fall off. Uh, from Chad Morris, it's, it's kind of been even an evolution. Is now we're more focused on the run game than we had been previously under Chad. Yes, Morris. yes, and it's good, and, it, yeah. and it's 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 impressive. You know that that's the thing, and and I'm not trying to turn this back to Oklahoma, but it's an interesting kind of parallel because when Oklahoma made its offensive line shift, the strength of this team at that time was its running game, specifically maybe its running backs with what Samaj P. Ryan did last year. Um, the influence that we expected and then saw Joe Mixon have. So, you know, it, the whole concern with Oklahoma was, oh, my gosh, they might get away from the run. But the way that Lincoln Riley and the way that the co-OCs at Clemson have really kind of integrated the running game into their game plans for what are supposed to be these widespread, high-powered, fast-paced, throwing the football around the field offenses, uh, it's been pretty impressive to see how both sides have really been able to use the running game, and it's been the key to both of their team's success, I think, a lot offensively. Yeah, and it really is nice to see that. I mean, it's a much more dynamic offense when you can do multiple things well as opposed to just one thing, mm -hmm. and it makes for a much more interesting game. Um, you, you talked about a little bit of the frustration kind of in the Oklahoma Sooners uh, kind of locker room last year. Was Bob Stoops ever kind of on the hot seat after that campaign last year? Um, I, I would say internally within the university – with the way that the uh, president and the athletic director feel about, about Bob Stoops, not just no, but an, an adamant hell no. Um, th th these three men, uh, Mr. David Boren, Joe Castiglione, and Bob Stoops, I think now are the longest tenured president, athletic director, coaching combination in all of football uh, and maybe in all of college sports. I don't want to get too carried away here, but I'll, I'll have to double check that. And they all have supreme confidence in each other. By that, you know, uh, Joe Castiglione has confidence that Bob Stoops is going to win games and never put this program in a precarious, you know, spot with the NCAA. And then David Bourne has that faith that Joe Castiglione is going to, you know, set set the plan forth and have that broad vision beyond football. I mean, it's really – I just moved to Norman. I lived in Tulsa and covered this team for, you know, 20 years, and I just moved okay. to Norman this year – and to see it firsthand has really been impressive, Ben, to see the way they work together. Now, that internal pressure was never there. That external pressure, you know, there were articles written. I think there was a Tulsa World column that was written about, hey, it's time for Bob Stoops to go. Fans started to question if they would ever get back to the level that they are right now because, I mean, let's face it, you know, this was a team in my time as being the sideline reporter that had gone to the uh, Insight Bowl the Cotton Bowl, where they got smoked by Texas A&M. They went to the Sugar Bowl in a game that they won and had, had built some confidence, but also in a season that 
you know, probably they, they shouldn't have lost. I mean, they, they lost by 20, I think, on the road at Baylor. So there was a little bit of a disappointment that it wasn't for a championship. And then they got smoked in the Russell Athletic Bowl. So I think externally with some of the fan expectations, which it's a monster around here, as you might imagine, and I don't right. mean that negatively, um, and maybe in, in some of the other, you know, hey, got to get some clicks, got to sell some uh, newspapers, got to make sure I get some attention on Sports Talk Radio. I think there was some of that buzz that had built. But, no, I, I think Bob Stoops, um, e- even if they would have had a rough year this year, then I think they're in a position to where they he, he can coach here as long as he wants. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to argue with his body of work and what he's yeah. there at Oklahoma. I mean, he has them in the national title discussion year in and year out. Um, and we can certainly understand some of the external pressure. But, you know, to, to hear that there is such confidence within the program um, and in the, uh, you know, the, the high-ranking officials there, um, it gives you a lot of, you know, you need to have that confidence in the coach moving forward to, to you know, sell recruits and build a successful program. Now, these – these seasons where you may have a couple questionable losses, but then have a good bowl game uh, mm-hmm. when Clemson is used to that. We've seen that before. And now we're starting to turn the corner where we're winning the games we're supposed to and winning big games. Um, but Oklahoma has been there before. Yeah. Yeah, they have. And, you know, you see it to where it's been a while, you know, let, let's face it, it. It's been a bit since we were in Miami for the Florida, uh, for the Florida, Oklahoma game. I think that was what 2007, maybe the, the 2008 new year. So, you know, it's been about seven years since we've last been down here uh, as, as a group covering this and being a part of this, but you're right. There is that experience with this staff. I think, you know, um, Lincoln Riley, Dennis Simmons, Bill Beanbow and Kerry cooks are, are the four, and Jay Bulware, if you want to go back a little bit further, are the five new coaches. But in that, you have Kale Gundy that's been there from day one with Bob Stoops. You have Mike Stoops, who had been there from day one but went away to, to coach Arizona but then came back. And then you've got, obviously, Bob and then Matt McMillan, who's his director of ops and you know, understands all the groundwork. So from a familiarity perspective, that's a really good point. They've been here. They've done this. They know what to expect. The moment might not be – too big for them. And, and I, listen, I, I had a chance to interview Dabo a couple of days ago, and I don't think the moment's too big for him at all. I love the approach that he's taken. And he's got a guy in Brent Venables that has been there before that won a championship with Oklahoma exactly. back in 2000. So uh, from that, yeah, these guys get it. They know how to plan it. I, I, I you know, I, I think there might have been some hope that they could have left on Christmas. I think if, if they wanted to, they might have wanted to get down there a day earlier, but the plan played out perfectly where everyone got to spend time with their family on Christmas. So, yeah, they feel – I think they feel supremely confident about, you know, understanding what it takes not just to win a championship, but then the preparation, uh, the, the drowning out of all the – all the noise. And I just, I don't just mean media noise. I mean, for those that aren't familiar with this, the, the final four games, these, the cotton bowl and the orange bowl, they're treated like a regular bowl game. So all the dinners, all the hikes, all the, you know, the, the things you do around town, they're still a part of this. And, you know, it, at least in that sense, it is kind of new for both Clemson and Oklahoma, but uh, from an Oklahoma perspective, they've been here in the championship setting before. Right. And you mentioned Brent Venable. So let's talk about him for a second, because obviously we have some common ground here. Um, when Dabo hired him, that's considered to be one of the primary reasons that Clemson has been able to get over the hump and become a national title contender. Um, after producing the number one defense last year, he returned only two starters this year, yet we still rank in the top 10. Clemson's defense does. Um, off, obviously, Clemson fans think highly of him, and he's regarded as one of the best coordinators in the country. What did Oklahoma fans think of him while he was there, and what were their thoughts about how he left? Um, I, I think the thought was always that Brent Venables, when he left Oklahoma, would be leaving to become a head coach somewhere. Right. And uh, when he left, you know, I I only got to spend one year covering Brent as you know as close as a sideline reporter or someone with the radio broadcast is allowed to. And uh, the Oklahoma defense, from the expectation that fans had had struggled a little bit. You started to hear cries of, oh, it's too complicated. And that seemed to coincide with the downfall of the Mike Stoops regime in Arizona. And I've used this comparison a lot. When Jimmy Johnson left Dallas, you know, there was a lot of time between, you know, his last game at Dallas and his first game at Miami. So you kind of you know, you you play up how great of a coach he was. And then whenever he gets back, you realize, oh, you know, he wasn't an overnight success. And I think Oklahoma fans kind of realize that, you know, right or wrong about Mike Stoops, because when Mike slid in and then 
you know, Brent for a while was going to be the co-DC and Dabo swooped in and, and, and paid what is a, a right amount of money to get a good coordinator and brought him to Clemson. You know, a lot of fans didn't think too much of it, Ben, because in their minds it was, we got Mike Stoops, we're fine. Mike's back to save the day with this defense. And listen, Mike's done a hell of a job. Right. In fact, when I was thinking about Frank Broyles' award candidates, I kind of thought Mike Stoops should have been in that mix more than he was this year. Regardless, um, you know, it took a while. You know, they had, to, they had to restock the safeties. They had to get better cornerbacks. They had to get a little bit better depth on their defensive line. So it took Oklahoma a while to get the personnel that Mike Stoops needed to run his kind of defense. But, but, but back to Brent Venables, you know, there wasn't a lot of disappointment, surprisingly, when he left. And I can remember, I did a sports talk show in Tulsa at the time. And when he left, Curtis Lofton, who is now a Raider and played with Brent Venables, actually contacted us on the show and said, I need to come on and set these people straight. Because on Twitter, it was kind of, hey, you know, right or wrong, it was there was a mindset from certain factions of the fan base that was, ah, good riddance. Now our defense is going to be fixed. We're going to be fine. And Curtis Lofton called and said, man, you guys just lost the best college football assistant coach in the country and people need to understand that and I think now that you see it from afar and you you realize just how good he is I think there's been a lot of you know backtracking you probably couldn't find a a fan now that still says well I'm glad he's gone (laughs) but but they but they were the guys that were on message boards or on Twitter talking about how the defense needed to be changed and how they would call him Brent vulnerables you know instead of Venables so it, it was it was so funny to me to see how we took for granted I think a certain faction of the fan base just how special Brent Venables was and it's no surprise to me to see how good he's doing at Clemson. Uh, And it's not going to be a surprise to me when that guy gets a head coaching job someday and uh, ends up absolutely winning, you know, and and taking care of business. So I think that you would see a much different opinion today based on when he left, what was that now, four years ago for the fan base. You know, his last game was that inside bowl, you know, whenever Oklahoma – beat Iowa and uh, he was the last coach that I got to interview before he left and you know I, it was a certain sense of pride that he had because the defense really stood up and played well that day and um, I think it was a good move for him I think it was uh, a good move for his family I think it's worked out real well how Clemson's playing for national championship potentially yeah, we're not uh, complaining too much about it <laughs> no 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 and, and I think for Oklahoma you know if uh, they, they would have loved to see him stick around but I also think, you know, for them, it took a while, but it's worked out okay for them as well. So, um, yeah, it's it, he was a beloved figure who had a couple of tough years with this defense. I mean, when guys like – listen, I'm sorry. I've gone long on this. I can talk all day about this. This is one of the more intriguing topics heading into this game. Yeah, um, absolutely. When, when you have guys that move on, like Tommy Harris – like Curtis Lofton, like Teddy Lehman, like Rufus Alexander. You know, you have these guys that played in the NFL, the Roy Williams of the world. You know, these guys just aren't, you know, falling off trees and implanting themselves into your depth chart. So I think Oklahoma struggled a little bit at times to, you know, get the right personnel and get those star players back. And, you know, it's, um, it's really cool. I think is the best way to put it to see how, you know, he bounced back from a, I guess what you could describe if you wanted as a couple of tough years defensively in Oklahoma and what he's been able to accomplish uh, in Clemson, South Carolina. Yeah, no, it's certainly an interesting storyline. And the fact that we've now will be playing each other two years in a row. I know. Builds upon that even further. Um, has it been long enough now since kind of Venables left? Or do you think there, there's still some familiarity uh, between Venables and OU that provides an advantage for either side? You know, uh, Bob Stoops has been asked that a bit, uh, quite a bit, because, you know, we, we can even go back to the Texas game, if you want, when Jay Norvell was the offensive coordinator at Texas. And I thought Bob Stoops had a really good answer to the question, Ben. He said, I don't know if you look around the country right now and the guys that we regular, regularly play, if there isn't, you know, a tie that I have to just about everybody, you know. So right. uh, if it's, a, you know, for instance, I, mean, I was just thinking about Baylor. You know, Baylor's got two former OU grad assistants that are now grad assistants there, you know. So um, I think – I always think that there's something that can be taken from a, a coach that used to coach under a head coach that's now somewhere else, you know. And, and, and I always think that there's something that can be taken. And I think conversely from that other side, you know, there's a familiarity as well. You know, maybe Oklahoma has a better idea. Or maybe I should be more specific. Maybe Lincoln Riley 
because of his film study, his talks with Bob Stoops might have a better idea of, hey, this might be a down and distance. This might be a situation where you see Brent Vittables like to dial up the pressure, like to dial up the blitz. And then conversely, you know, Brent and Mike Stoops were in the same room. You know, they, they, they prepared a national championship defense together. So Brent might say, hey, Tony Elliott, this is a situation where I bet Mike brings the pressure. So I, I think it kind of works both ways. I don't like to minimize it because, again, this was a lot of time that these guys spent together. And even though offenses are different and quarterbacks are different, I still think that kind of uh, personal tendencies are there and things that you can take from everyone. Yeah, and, but then at the end of the day, you know, especially given that it's been four years, schemes evolve, personnel changes. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Um, you know, like El Venables could rely on his linebacker course, Stephon Anthony and Tony Stewart last year. Um, he can't do that as much this year, so he'll switch out the schemes, have right. safeties provide help over the top. So all these things change, especially over four-year time period. Um, but it's still an interesting storyline nonetheless. It's You know what? And it's funny because I, I think it's one of those storylines for the, the media that covers it every day, like yourself and like myself, that you kind of think, oh, this again. But yet it's so compelling when you look at the amount of time that Brent and Bob and Mike and then obviously Kale Gundy spent together. How can we not talk about it? You know, how can it not be something that as we count down to kickoff, that isn't a storyline that's brought up and talked about quite a bit? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so let's let's stick here, I guess, uh, talking about Clemson's defense since we're on the Venable subject. Um, I think this will be the highest-ranked defense that Oklahoma will have faced all year. Uh, yep. So we think how Oklahoma's offense responds to this challenge is going to go a long way towards determining the outcome of the game. In particular, we'll be paying close attention to how OU's relatively young offensive line handles Clemson's talented defensive line. On the other hand, Baker Mayfield has shown elusiveness and an ability to create on the fly. To what extent should Oklahoma fans worry about the line advantage of Clemson? Does Mayfield's ability neutralize it? Yeah, yeah. That, it's, it's, um, I'll tell you this, Ben. In my pregame show, in our, in our pregame show, listen to me trying to make it about me. In our <laughs> pregame show on the network, we have spotlight players. And you try to find a matchup that you think is going to be key. I've already, and, and I decided this the first minute I started watching the Clemson, North Carolina game. Shaq Lawson versus Orlando Brown Jr. is the key for Oklahoma. Now, granted, I, I know that we can have, if we want to, an X and O philosophical debate about how, well, you know, a, a dominant defensive lineman can be neutralized a little bit with the help of chip blocks and, and you know, maybe running away from him or, or, or rolling away from him, whatever it might be. But I don't know. And, and again, I'm, I'm not an X to no guy, but I'm studying to try to become a better one. I don't know if I've ever seen a more NFL ready defensive lineman than what Shaq Lawson is. I mean, this guy and, and full disclosure, we did a show in preparing for this that was kind of a film study show. And Bobby Jack Wright, who is now retired and was the OU defensive backs coach last year, he came on and broke it down with myself and a former OU defensive lineman, Dustin Vorchek, who does a lot of TV stuff. And the technique, the way in which Shaq Lawson reads keys, the things that he does are just so Sunday. They're so NFL already that you're almost blown away with how explosive he is on tape. And Orlando Brown Jr., I would argue – from from day one when they played Akron to what would this be? Then day 13, whenever they go up against Clemson for this squad, he's probably the most improved guy on this team. But um, I, I, I'll tell you, he's going to get some good guys. You know, he's battled Oakland. He battled Agba. Um, this, this challenge that he has against Lawson, I think, is, is up there with as uh, big of a challenge as he's had all season long. And, you know, he's, he's got an incredible pedigree. His dad, Orlando Brown, was an NFL player and uh, obviously, unfortunately lost his life too early. Um, fans might remember he was the uh, offensive lineman for the Browns and had the flag that was thrown uh, in his eye. Right. Um, but, but Orlando Brown Jr. is his son, and he, you know, he has a lot of motivation from, you know, wanting to do what his dad did. And playing the NFL. And he's, let me tell you something, man. In a couple of years, he's Trent Williams-esque. He's a guy that I think we can be talking about as a top 10 pick. Um, but as key as that matchup is, which is Lawson v. Orlando Brown Jr., I also think the growth of this Oklahoma offensive line and those young guys, you know, you got a true freshman in Drew Samiad right tackle. You've got, obviously, your veterans at center and Ty Darlington and Ila Casatati. But you got a sophomore who's the tackle um, who's a former tackle that's now playing guard and Jonathan Alvarez at that other guard spot, you know, you got a sophomore and two freshmen on an offensive line. And 
you know, the old adage is, oh, they're not freshmen anymore, but they are. <laughs> right. You know, they're, they're still young guys, and they haven't been in this moment. So that's one matchup that I'm so intrigued to watch, and not just in Lawson v. Brown, but, you know, it's more than just Lawson that's going to play on Sundays on that defensive line for uh, Clemson. So Oklahoma's going to have its hands full up front. I think you'll see them do a lot of things. Uh, to try to keep that pocket mobile, you know, keep Baker Mayfield on the move. Baker's really good at throwing the football on the run because uh, I don't know, you know, I, I, we're not seeing two teams that really line up in that eye and, and try to go man on man and jam it down your throat. Uh, but Oklahoma's got to keep Baker Mayfield upright. The one time they really struggled this year was Texas, and they weren't able to keep him upright. And Texas brought the house every single play and Oklahoma struggled with it since that game they made changes Josiah St. John hasn't been back on the field since that game and he was the starting right tackle Derek Farniak was a starting left guard in that game he hasn't played much outside of a few injuries this season since that game so since that they've made adjustment they've uh, they've done some things differently and I think you'll see Clemson try to do a lot of the same things defensively to get pressure on Oklahoma that Texas did because it works so well Right. So let's let's say if Clemson is able to get uh, pressure on Mayfield, is this going to be a situation where OU's wide receivers are going to need to get open early to, to yeah. give him an outlet? Well, and, and let me how physical, because, I, again, I, I think I've spent too much time really focusing on the trenches. But from what you've seen this year, um, how physical are Clemson's cornerbacks? They're not from what I've seen. They're not afraid to get up in your face and bump you on the line of scrimmage. Right. I mean, these these are guys that can be physical. Right. Oh, yeah, between uh, Mackenzie Alexander and Cordreo Tankersley, yeah. these are two very, very good cornerbacks, and uh, specifically Mackenzie Alexander, the star cornerback. He will most certainly be assigned to Sterling Shepard the majority of the game and has shown great ability in shutting down opposing teams' leading wide receivers this year. Um, yeah. So I guess to that point, if Alexander is successful in limiting Shepard, how will OU plan to move the ball through the air? Yeah, you got to count on some of these guys that uh, have stepped up throughout the season. When uh, and, and I and I say when Shep has been neutralized, that hasn't really happened this year for them. But guys that might have to take on bigger roles, you would hope. It, and again, this is just a hope. You would hope that you need to focus a little extra attention on Sterling, so that might open things up for guys like Didi Westbrook, uh, Deron Neal. You know, Deron Neal's a real interesting story because this was a guy last year that. You know, was called upon to be the number one guy when Sterling got hurt, and uh, he didn't he didn't perform so well, and he didn't get down, he didn't get frustrated. He he got a new coach on the outside, an outside receivers coach, uh, Dennis Simmons, and he's he's really excelled. You know, wide receiver was really a position of concern heading into the season from a depth perspective, because you had essentially what two guys coming back that had caught passes in a Division one game. And then you tag on to the fact that you're bringing in the air raid office and you've got two guys that have caught passes. Um, but, you know, I, I would say it falls on a D.D. Westbrook. It falls on a Duran Neal, uh, Jarvis Baxter, whose uh, touches kind of were limited down the stretch of the season. But he's always good for kind of that sneaky first down and um, on a big third down. And let me throw a name that I think could end up being key on. Thursday and a name that I think we've been talking about all season long in the Sooner Nation been and that's Mark Andrews you know Mark Andrews is a tight end that's being asked to play wide receiver well let me rephrase that Mark Andrews is a wide receiver who's asked being asked to play tight end and he finds himself in a lot of times in a lot of situations as an incredible mismatch for linebackers uh the problem is he's pretty much in the same position as Sterling Shepard in certain sets for the Sooners. So when they spread things out, Mark Andrews usually isn't in the game. But if they have success shutting down Shepard, then I think Mark Andrews is a guy that can really help open things up for Oklahoma. Uh, and, and again, I know we touched on it a little bit, but the Sooners' ability to run the football has really helped them out in situations where maybe that passing game didn't necessarily get going so well early in a game. You know, Tennessee is a good example of that. Uh, Tulsa is even – well, I mean, in the Tulsa game, they were able to do what they want offensively. But whenever Tulsa stopped them here and there, they, they were able to run the football and open things up. So, yeah, I, I think this is really going to fall on some of your – I don't want to say – other pieces, um, but some of your support cast. Uh, if, if you don't get that Baylor-esque, uh, Bedlam-esque performance from Sterling Shepard that the Sooners have seen in the final three weeks of the regular season. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, kind of talking about Mark Andrews, that was an area that I was going to point out. Um, I think Clemson has defended pretty well against the deep ball this year. 
Uh, but more so than anything, it's been kind of passes over the middle, picking on right. our linebackers and coverage or our nickelback and coverage. Uh, so do you, you think that's an area, and it seems like it may be, where you think OU's really going to try to focus and pick on Clemson's defense? Watch the Bedlam tape, man. Watch Oklahoma State. That's what they did so successfully. Um, they absolutely beat up Oklahoma State underneath. And they, again, part of it was good protection for Baker Mayfield to allow some of those to open up. Uh, and it was something that they really hadn't done all that much this season. So, yeah, man, I, I would say that's going to be something um, that Oklahoma is going to try to take advantage of. Um, you know, I, not being in the in the room with Lincoln Riley when they put forward the game plan. But it was, you know, it's, it's been a while now since Oklahoma and Oklahoma State played. But that was really an area. Uh, and, and again, you know, Oklahoma State, Glenn Spencer does things differently defensively than, than Brent Venables does. You know, they brought a, they brought their blitz and they, they brought their linebackers a lot. So that kind of opened things up underneath. I don't know if that's something that, you know, Brent Venables might shy away from or not. Uh, but Oklahoma was able to exploit those mismatches all Saturday against Oklahoma State. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him use it again. Well, it's going to be exciting to see how this all plays out, yeah. especially since you're giving uh, each coordinator a month to game plan. Uh, for Absolutely. The, see the adjustments they make. And that, and that time you get Clemson's defense rested up. You get Lincoln Riley another month to perfect his offense. So, yeah, absolutely. I think this is a, a very, uh, very exciting matchup to watch uh, in this Orange Bowl game. Let's, uh, let's switch over now to Clemson's offense versus OU's defense. Um, I think obviously as a member of the Big 12, Oklahoma has experience facing high-powered offenses. They'll be facing another one in Clemson, led by Deshaun Watson, who many say is the best quarterback in the country. What will it take for Oklahoma to be successful in stopping Clemson's offense? Make him uncomfortable, man. They, uh, and uh, it's, it, not many teams have been able to do it this year. Can we have a rainstorm? Like we did in the, against Notre Dame. Yeah, I, I think I think we're done with those. <laughs> I was gonna say that that was the only time I really saw this dude stop this year. And you know, I I really I went back and watched every play uh, that I could from Deshaun Watson this year because I take great pride in being a Heisman voter, and I wanted to make sure that uh, I had seen as much of him as I can because boy, he is man, he is special. And you know, I I think. I think some fans, well, let me rephrase it. I think some voters looked at that Notre Dame game and said, well, he didn't have big passing numbers, so he doesn't get my vote. Uh, but then when you realize that it was like a torrential downpour, exactly. uh, that's the only way you're going to stop him. I mean, I, I, unless you can get pressure on him. And, you know, the Sooners have shown at times the ability to get pressure on mobile quarterbacks, but when they do, they sometimes struggle in bringing him down consistently. Um, so I, I think that, you know, Texas, unfortunately, I keep going back to it, but it was an example a couple of times to where they would have a draw herd dead to rights and he would spin away and make a play. Um, they, they have a, they have a very mobile athletic guy that is playing him, if you will, in practice as their scout team quarterback and Trevor Knight. But man, I don't know if you can if you can simulate now. Uh, Trevon Boykin is about as athletic of a quarterback that I've seen. Right. But Oklahoma Oklahoma can't even go back to looking at what they did against him this year because he didn't play in the yeah. game against Oklahoma. Um, you know they've seen athletic quarterbacks. I don't know if they've seen the combination of of elusiveness, speed, and then. Um, arm talent that Deshaun Watson has. You know, I, I loved watching that North Carolina game because it was so similar to some of the things that Oklahoma did to where against Baylor to where they took so many shots deep that, it, you know, they didn't hit on all of them, um, but it opened so much up for them because North Carolina had to pay so much attention to the deep ball. Same thing like Phil Bennett as a defensive coordinator. Baylor had to do when Oklahoma was going deep to D.D. Westbrook early. You have to pay attention to that. So I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I would hate to be in the shoes of Mike Stoops or a, or, a, or a Tim Kish, the linebackers coach, or a Kerry Cooks, the defensive backs coach for Oklahoma, because um, this and Dyron Reynolds just to, I guess to make, better make sure I hit everyone on the defensive coaching staff while I'm at it. But he, Deshaun Watson is as impressive of an athlete as I've seen. And, you know, to go full circle to what we talked about in the open, the way they use him, the way that they game plan with him, it is, um, it's impressive. And so if I'm, if I'm laying out a game plan as to how you stop Deshaun Watson, uh, number one, you pray for rain. 
And since I know we're not getting that, uh, I think the number two thing that you do is you get pressure on him. You know, Oklahoma has done a really nice job. Charles Tapper has stepped up over the last weeks of the season and has been a difference maker. You know, Eric Stryker is a force off the edge. Uh, has really improved his get off and uh, really getting back in the backfield quite well. And I think one of the most underrated and underappreciated parts of the Sooner football team is the interior of their defensive line. Uh, the Matt Romars, the Charles Walkers, the Matt Diamond. Diamond was a converted defensive end who went to the inside and has really impressed. So they've they've got to win that battle in the trenches. They've got to get pressure on Deshaun Watson. And then you got to be careful because you take one step out of your lane, the dude's gone. So uh, And he'll be right? 10 yards down the field before yes. you know it. Yeah. North Carolina did it about five or six times. And the next thing you know, boom, it's first down. So, yeah, I uh, that's it. you got to get pressure on him, but it's got to be controlled pressure. You can't find yourself getting out of your rush lanes or you're in big trouble. He makes you pay. So speaking of uh, speaking of the line play here in the matchups, you know Clemson does have a bit more experience on the offensive line than uh, OU does on their side of the ball. But at the same time, we've replaced five starters from last year. Um, in this particular matchup, OU's defensive line versus uh, Clemson's offensive line, do you see a clear advantage here? Um, no, you know, outside of just I think it, you know what if I'm going through and I'm giving an advantage to one side or the other. I'm, I'm putting a push there. Uh, but, again, there, there's a part of me that feels like I've seen so much of Oklahoma that I'm more apt to give them the edge than maybe uh, they deserve. You know, I, 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 I have been impressed with, you know, the Oklahoma defensive tackles all season long. I think that, you know, we get so caught up in today's coverage of the NFL or, of, of football in general that we, uh, we love the sacks. We love the guys that have the big sack totals. But, you know, Oklahoma's – the core, the, the thing that's made them so good defensively is the job that those guys on the interior have done and just kind of, you know, making it dirty and they're mucking it up a bit, if you will, on the inside. And they've really been difference makers. So I think that's a hard one to call. You know, I would give both battles in the trenches. Well, let me rephrase that. I give Oklahoma uh, a slight advantage in Oklahoma's defensive line versus Clemson. And I'd give Clemson the advantage in their defensive line versus Oklahoma's offensive line. But that advantage for Oklahoma's defensive line isn't very much because even with, I guess you can, you know, the, the game notes say five new starters. I know there was a couple of guys in there that had started games before, but still to see the way that they've progressed this year and how, you know, they, it, it's hard sometimes to block for a mobile quarterback and the way that they've done it, you know, that's a, that's going to be a tough matchup for Oklahoma come Thursday. Well, it's funny to hear you say that you give the advantage to both defensive lines when these two teams are known as really high-powered offenses. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Um, but see, that's the thing is there, there's the idea that Oklahoma has been able to do what they've done defensively in the Big 12 is, is pretty impressive to me because I had kind of started, uh, started to subscribe to the fact or at least the idea that a win – defensively isn't a three out it isn't a shutout a win defensively is holding a team to a field goal and <laughs> I kind of think that that might be what happens come Thursday in this Orange Bowl but uh, I'll tell you what both of these defensive lines are very impressive and I can't wait to see how the offensive coordinators what Tony Elliott does for Clemson and what you know uh, Lincoln Raleigh does for Oklahoma and try to and, and how they try to counter it. Well, again, it's like you said, it's, it's maybe you do have an advantage along the line, but it's how you use those quarterbacks and Baker right. Field and uh, Deshaun Watson. Um, let's talk a little bit about Clemson also has another talented core in their wide receivers. Um, several guys are probably going to play in the NFL one day. How do you think yep. they stack up against OU secondary? Um, Oklahoma secondary is uh, it needs to get healthy uh, with Zach Sanchez. And, you know, Zach was the kind of the media darling today. And Zach's, uh, Zach's an NFL player. Um, the, the problem that Zach's had is he hasn't been healthy. Uh, he's battled a couple different injuries. He got hurt on the first play against Texas Tech with his ankle. Um, and I don't know if he's been back to 100% yet. So from a time away from the game perspective, it might benefit the Oklahoma secondary more than – you know, I don't want to get too carried away because I know there's been a couple of injuries with Clemson wide receivers too. But uh, let's just say this, the Oklahoma secondary has benefited from time away to kind of heal up a Zach Sanchez. You know, Jordan Thomas, you know, he's, he's a guy that's been a real surprise to me. Uh, earlier this year, he seemed like he was struggling a bit, but he has really stepped up. He's become their best cornerback, their best cover corner. Uh, and he's just a sophomore. And, you know, they made a, they made a change in the Kansas State game. 
they uh, benched Atari Bird after the Texas game, and he had been one of their starting safeties. And they moved Stephen Parker back away from the line of scrimmage, took him out of his nickel roll, and basically started him at safety along with my Thomas and uh, started using a junior college transfer in Will Johnson as their nickel. And it's made a big difference for this team. Um, you know, they've seen really good wide receivers. Uh, Jordan Thomas did a good job against Coleman, against Baylor, and shutting him down. Uh, Zach Sanchez, not so well against Oklahoma State's group of wide receivers. So, um, yeah, that's a challenge uh, for Oklahoma. You know, they don't have a lot of depth back there. They can't afford a lot of injuries. But in the job that – I'll just go, you know, to be more – the job that Stephen Parker has done and the role that he's played in kind of taking over at uh, that safety position, it's really been a key for them. And, you know, we saw how much they struggled in trying to slow Clemson's receivers last year. So it's a, it's the same challenge for them this year. There's, I see at least three guys that I think can play, you know, at the next level that are catching passes from Clemson right now. I mean, these are, you know, Oklahoma has recruited guys like that. You know, the, they, they have three or four guys that we probably won't see too much in Jeffrey Mead and Dawu Green and Dewan Miller that are these big, tall receivers. Uh, but they're sitting on the bench. You know, they're not they're not right. they're not they're not playing a role. I mean, Clemson has about three of them. They just go <laughs> out and absolutely go up and get the ball and make plays. And Oklahoma has really struggled against some of those bigger, stronger receivers this year. So uh, Sanchez and Thomas really have their work cut out for them. Yeah, no, it's been an embarrassment of riches at the wide receiver position for Clemson over the last several years. And, and not to mention that Mike Williams, our best wide receiver, went down in the, the first game of the year. Yep. So he's not even playing this year. Um, and we certainly have a lot of depth there. We talked about the physicality of Clemson's cornerbacks. Those OU's cornerbacks, are they going to play up tight to the line of scrimmage or are uh, they going to give more of a cushion? They, they, they do a little bit of both. You know, I, I've, there, there's been times where they've been up tight and there's times where they give a little bit of a cushion. Um, I, I think – I think you might see them start giving a little bit more of a cushion. And then if Oklahoma feels like that, you know, they're getting pressure on Deshaun Watson, then maybe you might see them tighten up a little bit. Uh, they're very versatile in what they can do. They're not afraid to blitz them. You know, Zach Sanchez has had a couple of big, uh, if, you, if you're okay with using the term run blitzes, <laughs> has had a couple of run blitzes that have worked out real well. So they're very active guys from that perspective. Um, but, yeah, they, they, they do a little bit of both. You know, from an X and O's perspective, they're not afraid to – get them off the line of scrimmage about five yards. They're not afraid to have them up tight with their guys with some safety help over the top. So, yeah, if you're – how about this? If Clemson's killing them with those quick slants, then you're going to see these guys try to tighten up a little bit um, or, or those those quick little uh, kind of screen passes out to the outside or those little bubble screens. Right. Um, but uh, Oklahoma's guys, they've both uh, – both Jordan Thomas and Zach Sanchez have shown the ability to play well when they can do either that kind of tight bump coverage or are giving the guys a little bit of space. So overall, would you say their strength is more in stopping the run or protecting against the pass? Because we talked about Deshaun Watson's running ability, but not really about Wayne Gallman um, and his ability. Now he's come on this year. Statistically, I, you know what, to be honest with you, statistically they've been able to slow down both. I would think Oklahoma's had a little bit more success stopping the run, and I think that's what their defense uh, is predicated on. They're going to force you. If you're going to beat them, uh, you're not going to do it running for 300 yards. You know, this is going to be a team that if you're going to beat them, uh, you're, you're not, they're not going to let you beat them running the football. They're going to force you to beat them over the top. And uh, the, the confidence appears to be that you're not going to have the time to get the ball over the top, or you're not going to have – uh, an, an open guy because of their coverage. So, yeah, I, I think this is an – if you want to get, you know, down to the nitty-gritty of it, Oklahoma wants to stop you from running the football, period. They want to make you one-dimensional, and they feel like if they make you one-dimensional throwing the football, then they can dial up the blitzes, they can pin their ears back, and they can get pressure on the quarterback. Now, obviously, Deshaun Watson makes that incredibly difficult because, you know, he's a guy that, let's say you do that, then he can tuck the ball and run and get that 10 or 15 yards. But – you know, the, the kind of mindset, the hope, the plan uh, for the entire season has been we're going to force you to be one-dimensional, uh, and that's going to be throwing the football because uh, we get so caught up in, I don't want to say stereotyping, but, you know, the, the, the personalities of teams where if they put up big numbers, we think they're all a, a passing-based offense. But in the Big 12, in Baylor, and what you see with TCU, well, maybe not so much TCU. But at least in Baylor, let's just use them as the example. That's a run-based offense. Sure. You know, that, that, that's, that's a team that wants to run the football. And if you can make them one-dimensional just throwing the football, then you might have a chance to have success like Oklahoma did. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's going to be the charge, I think, for Oklahoma defensively. Don't let Gallman get going. Uh, don't let Watson break contain. You know, keep, keep him under 100 yards rushing. 
uh, keep Watson in the backfield, keep in the pocket, and, and you have a chance to be successful. Well, and I guess all that being said, you know, I still – I think there's some interesting storylines on both sides of the ball and some strengths and weaknesses of matchups that are going to be interesting to watch. Um, ultimately, I still think this could be a high-scoring game. Do you think that? And if so, uh, in an up-tempo, fast-paced game like that, who do you think it favors, Oklahoma or Clemson? Um, I, I, th- maybe it's a little bit of homerism, but I think an up-tempo game favors Oklahoma. Um, I, I, I tend to think that if they can get out of the first, it, it, first quarter to me is going to be very telling in this game. Um, I can't, it, you know, if, if both teams come out and score on their opening drive, then we're going to have ourselves a long night and we're going to be like the Shreveport bowl that I watched last night, the independence bowl to where we might be in the fourth quarter and it's 50 to 42 or something <laughs> like that. Um, but with that said, from what I've seen from both of these teams is when it's when a squad, when an offense has early success, the defense is able to make adjustments to slow things down. Clemson has done it this year. Oklahoma has uh, done it this year. You know, Iowa state went right down the field on Oklahoma's opening drive and didn't do anything the rest of the game based on the adjustments that Oklahoma made. You know, Mike Stoops has been really good now that he's up in the box with those adjustments. Um, I tend though to lean towards more of a shootout, I think that the uh, these two timing-based offenses, even with the break, I think they're going to be okay. Um, you know, I, I think Shaq Lawson's going to have a good day, and if he does, Oklahoma's in big trouble. But I, I, I'm with you. I think that the offenses will rule the day come Thursday, and it's just a matter of who ends up making more plays or, heck, who knows, who even ends up making the last play. I will say this. Um, I hate it that it's starting at, what, 3 o'clock central time on yeah, a thursday it's, yeah it's one for us out here on the west coast <laughs> has, has that has that done has, has anyone talked about that has that been a topic at all i mean what a, last year you set ratings records when the games were on new year's day rate the the largest ratings ever and now you know you gotta hope i mean i i know it's not going to be an issue for clemson fans or oklahoma fans i mean hell i'm in norman i think they're giving everyone the day off work anyway um <laughs> but th- it's, it's just i hate it that this isn't the primetime game one and i hate it that it's on new year's eve because i really think this is going to be a show i think this is going to be an offensive show and i think it's going to be fun for fans to watch yeah i think so too and you have the number one team in the country coming in and then you have quarterbacks and Sean Watson and Baker Mayfield right. versus, you know, going up against the Alabama-Michigan State game, which is likely going to be very low-scoring defensive battle. So this is clearly the more entertaining game. It should it's going to be fun, spot. man. Yeah. It, 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 and I'll add this, too. I think it's going to be fun in the stands. Um, I think there's obviously, from what I have been able to gauge, there's a lot of Clemson fans that are making the trip, and uh, if you want, you should be. And, uh, you know, Oklahoma fans, there's kind of been this big debate. Well, do you go ahead and spend the money now, or do you wait if they happen to win and go to Arizona? And I think fans are so excited and so familiar with the trip to the Orange Bowl that we've seen quite a few fans that are saying, we're going to Miami. Because initially, when Oklahoma got the bid, uh, there was some frustration because Dallas was so close. And the thought was, hey, we're sitting here at number three. We're going to go to Dallas. And when that didn't happen, there was some disappointment. But uh, I think you're going to see great representation from both fan bases in the crowd. I I can't wait to get down there. Yeah, and I certainly think so, too. I think uh, both have – both have fan bases that travel well, um, you know, two big programs in college football. It's certainly going to be an exciting game. We're looking forward to it. I'm pumped, man. Um, okay, shifting kind of away um, from the oklahoma Clemson matchup, I've got a few more things. Uh, I just want to talk about the Big 12 conference itself. Um, the Big 12 suffered from not having a championship game last year and they got left out of the playoff. We saw Oklahoma drop from number three to number four in the rankings this year after the championship weekend, likely due to the fact they didn't play that final weekend. Do Big 12 fans see this as a concern, and is there any desire by the conference officials or member schools to expand to 12? You know, I uh, if there was somebody that was willing to leave a conference, like uh, let's say hypothetically, oh, well, a Clemson, a um, a Nebraska, maybe, oh, I don't know, um, maybe even a a Louisville who had just jumped into their new conference, I think then you would see a little bit more of a push from Big 12 fans for true expansion. Um, I don't know if you actually have anyone that's just that, – that, that can bring the kind of revenue in that you need to expand to 12 teams. Hey, Houston, what they're doing this year in football – is great. What Kelvin Sampson is doing with basketball is great. I think it'd be great. The commitment that Memphis has made to upgrading facilities, it's awesome. Um, 
I'm kind of of the opinion that if if you can't go wrong, you know, with adding a couple of those teams. But the sense you get is there's just not anyone out there that you're running out to bring in that you think automatically upgrades your conference. So in the short term, I don't think you see the Big 12 go to 12, which sounds wild to say. Um, <laughs> I, th- I think they stay at 10. You know, uh, it's kind of, in, in my opinion, TCU was a team that not many people thought was a major conference player. And then the Big 12, you know, I, I know they went to the Rose Bowl with Andy Dalton. But they come to the Big 12. They were on their way to the Big East. They come to the Big 12, and it's worked out pretty well. Yeah, exactly. They're one of the best teams in the conference. So right. could they not see something like that working with a Memphis or maybe a Boise State or even, May- even hey. East Carolina because you've expanded to West Virginia on the East Coast? You got You know, here's the thing. Here, here's what I, I have obviously spent way too many years in sports talk radio. Um, so I've come up with like eight thousand different plans for what you can do with conference expansion that makes a little bit more geographical sense but the one thing we've learned is geography doth not matter when it comes to conference realignment Um, so yeah it would make sense to get someone a little bit uh, further east of the Mississippi to help out West Virginia from a travel perspective but I don't see that happening with the Big 12 I think you're looking at potentially four teams if the Big 12 is looking at expansion Uh, maybe a fifth I'll give you five and that's Memphis um, Houston uh, Cincinnati, BYU, I think is a team that you always have to keep an eye on. Right. Um, th- those are four teams right there. I'm, I'm leaving someone out. Uh, oh, Boise State. But uh, again, if you go Boise State, you're going completely away from the whole mindset of the conference and, and, and kind of where it is. Uh, I think the Big 12 stays at 10. I, I know they're battling right now with Jim Delaney and the Big Ten for their appeal to play a conference championship game with 10 teams. I know that's kind of an ongoing fight as we speak. Um, but the coaches don't really have a want to expand. Um, the coaches don't have a want to add a championship game. I mean, how much sense would it make after Oklahoma beats Oklahoma State and after they went to Baylor to beat Baylor, uh, beat Waco to beat Baylor, they got to go back and play Baylor again or, or, or TCU again or, or Oklahoma State again. So, you know, they play around Robin. They got in this year. They didn't get in last year. Um, could they have been in trouble if Ohio State had been a team that uh, continued to win or if Ohio State would have beat Michigan State and Notre Dame would have won over Stanford? Absolutely. And then I think you would have found yourself in a situation to where the uh, potential for expansion or change really kicked up another notch if Oklahoma would have been left out. But I think they feel pretty good about Oklahoma getting in. Um, I don't think expansion is on the docket. Uh, I think this will be a very interesting offseason after football is over and an interesting summer for the future of the Big 12. Um, I know that they're not just sitting idly by, um, but I don't I don't see expansion as being something on the horizon for the Big 12. I really don't. Unless somebody just knocks their socks off, um, unless something happens with Houston, uh, Texas maybe kind of gives a little bit for adding another Texas school. I just I don't see the Big 12 changing for a couple of years. If they, how about this? If they get to a situation, let's say again next year, where you've got a one-loss Oklahoma team and let's say a one-loss SEC team and, and a one-loss ACC team and a one-loss Big Ten and a one-loss one Pac-12 and the, um, the Big 12 is the, the, the team that's left out, then we got another big tr- problem because that's two of three years when the Big 12 would have been left out. And, and that's what I, I think the key is to it. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 if, there's, if there's one thing that we've learned, if there, in all of the, I don't want to say secrecy, but in everything that seems to be somewhat convoluted about the process that the selection committee goes through, there is one thing that we've learned. That 13th week matters to them. That championship game matters to them. Exactly. Games played on that day matter, and I think the big – Chris, you there? Yeah, I'm here. You got me? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. You cut out there for a second. I'm sorry. Well, I I was just saying that I think that what you'll see more than anything else is is them potentially adding a championship game, but I don't think you'll see them ever move towards expansion. All right, great. Well, uh, I know all the excitement uh, right now is around college football playoffs, but I'd like to sneak in a quick basketball question since you are kind of an all things uh, Oklahoma sports guy. (laughs) Um, There's been a lot of dissatisfaction among Clemson fans that our basketball program continues to struggle. Some will claim that it's because it's hard to field a good team when you're a football school and recruit against so many storied programs within the conference. However, Oklahoma is a football school that has to go up against the likes of Kansas and Texas, yet is currently ranked number three in the country. Uh, What are the keys to OU's success, and how has Lon Kruger been able to continue the tradition of producing good basketball teams that OU has come to expect since Billy Tubbs turned the program around in the 80s? But the Heald stayed in school. (laughs) But the Heald decided (laughs) to come back. 
Um, you know, it's it's funny because Oklahoma has been successful in winning games, but I, I think if you were to put some truth serum, there's still a bit of disappointment over being able to get butts in the seats, and I think that's kind of one of the challenges that they go through now. Um, for For me, I tend to agree with that group of Clemson fans that say, hey, it's hard to – it's hard to produce good college basketball and good college football. Yeah, it can be a challenge. Uh, I, I think the Oklahomas and the Floridas of the world can be somewhat of a bit of an anomaly, you know, whenever that happens for them. But um, how about here's the best thing you can do. And here's here's what I've noticed makes the biggest difference in the world in having a successful basketball program. Hire Lon Kruger. So if you hire <laughs> Lon Kruger, you're <laughs> you're going to be OK. Um, I've been floored with what this guy said. You know, Oklahoma. Yeah, they've gone through some swoons with basketball. You right. know, Kelvin Sampson did an incredible job, but obviously he had some issues that he ran into. They brought in Jeff Capel. Capel won with Blake Griffin, but when he turned pro, the bottom kind of fell out for this program for a little bit. Um, you know, uh, basketball is so interesting to me because I, I covered – when I went to school, I went to the University of Tulsa, and I, I got a chance to really watch some great head coaches come through there. I got a chance to, to – I guess you could say study under a Tubby Smith. I had a chance to watch a, a Bill Self up close. You know, they, they had other guys that made their way through there that didn't necessarily have as much success. And, and a Steve Robinson, who's now the number one assistant for North Carolina, and Buzz Peterson, who I guess is claimed to fame as he's Michael Jordan's best friend. Um, but, you know, it's, it's amazing the importance of a good head coaching hire because one guy can turn around basketball. One guy, even though I just, you know, going full circle, I – underestimated the power of one in football realistically if, if baker mayfield doesn't have a good offensive line he's not all that great so one guy can't turn around football one guy can turn around basketball and i think it's a matter of getting the right guy there leading the the program it's a matter of finding that you know that kind i don't want to say ben simmons because that's kind of the the unicorn that doesn't happen that often but this combination of good players and then hoping they stick around for a while um, Kentucky's struggling a bit early on because they're constantly turning over their roster. Oklahoma isn't because they've got three senior starters and they have a fourth guy who's a junior that's coming back and they're, and their fifth starter is a sophomore. He played most of last year. So, and, and that's why, Oh gosh, you get me on a bully pulpit with this. That's why I think you see teams like the Wichita States of the world that have big time runs the Butler, because you know, you, you have in Duke and in Kentucky and Kansas, you know, they bring in the high profile players who in a lot of instances will have a great year. And then what are they doing? They're turning pro, pro. They're gone. Yep. So, right. So, so now you're able to kind of see teams uh, and I'll put Tulsa, Tulsa has five senior starters. Um, so, you know, you see these teams that maybe have that opportunity to kind of build a little bit. So I know that saying patience, young Padawan doesn't help very much when it comes to Clemson basketball, because you've been through so much since the uh, Rick Barnes era. Um, but yeah, I think, I think they're going to be okay. That's an awesome atmosphere. I love watching games whenever they're live from that arena. Uh, it's, it's a great environment and I think they're going to be okay. Um, but you just, that, that right combination, a little patience and, you know, just uh, make it a, get a little lucky, too. I mean, Oklahoma got lucky. Lon Kruger told him no a couple of times. They didn't take no for an answer, and he came here and he's worked wonders. So I think that um, I think that's one of the more underrated things is just the power of a head coach and what he can do to make uh, all the difference in the world. Yeah, and, I, you know, I, I think Clemson's the type of school where it's we're not going to be uh, in the tournament every single year. We're not going to have fresh uh, elite talent coming in every year. It's going to be the type of program where it needs to build over the course of several years to get some upper class right. experience in there. And then, like you said, you got to have the right coach um, to lead that program. Now, it's debatable right now among the Clemson fan base whether we have that right coach. <laughs> um, but, you know, we'll see what happens moving forward. The desires there, I think Clemson fans think that, you know, our facilities are lacking. They're getting better. But the Clemson is the type of school – um, the atmosphere that's there that obviously we've seen what Dabo has done with the football program. You can build right. big programs at small schools in small colleges. And, and I think, yeah, yeah. And I, and I think the key again is look around what we have in the four team playoff, just in college bass and college football, you got Oklahoma, you got Clemson, you got Michigan state, you got Alabama. Now, obviously let's, let's move Alabama out of this mix for a bit because you know, Nick Saban isn't a, it's, it's not an example of patience. Uh, but Michigan State had to be patient with Mark D'Antoni, not only to get him, but to have him implement his plan. Obviously, I mean, look at Clemson fans. It's sure. been a practice in patience in, in him getting, you know, the, the right mix of, uh, of a star quarterback and, and the coaching staff and 
the, the role players they need. And then Oklahoma, Bob Stoops, it's been a practice and patience to find the next Jason, the next Sam Bradford, the next Jason White, uh, the next Roy Williams, you know. And, and I think it's not anything any fan wants to hear. You know, I'm a diehard Oakland Raider fan. I'm tired of hearing about patience <laughs> and we're going to get this right. But I also think, you know, with college basketball, it is. It's, it's a real big challenge of your patience, especially whenever you're trying to build something because no sport can be turned around more by one guy one athlete in college basketball can. It's incredible. Yeah, and Clemson kind of saw that in K.J. McDaniels a few years ago. Unfortunately, we didn't make the tournament that year, but that's the best we've had in a while. So, well, yeah, hopefully that provides a little um, a little hope for Clemson fans. Uh, but in the meantime, <laughs> we'll, we'll focus on football because that's the thing that uh, is taking all the glory right now. Um, Amen, man, and it's fun to see him being good too. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, Chris, uh, thanks for joining us today and giving us some better insight into Oklahoma football. Um, folks, as they say, know thy enemy, and Bob Stoops has the Oklahoma football program in the national title discussion year in and year out, and as Clemson turns the corner to becoming an elite team, we expect to see more of them in the future. Um, so that being said, you can follow Chris on Twitter at, at Plank Show, and we encourage everyone to go check out the official OU Sooner uh, Sports podcast to get more analysis of the Oklahoma football program from the Sooners' perspective. Uh, one of us from the podcast may be joining him on his show this week, so we'll keep you updated on that. And, Chris, thanks again for coming on today, and we'll look forward to our game on Thursday. This has been one of the funnest conversations I've had because I love learning more about who our teams are playing. And if you're a Clemson fan, you need to be listening to this because it's great information. And, Ben, I appreciate you guys reaching out to me. It's a blast to chat with you. and look forward to seeing you guys in Miami in a couple of days. Absolutely. Perfect. Our pleasure, Chris. Thanks again. All right. See you, man. Thanks, Ben. All right.